everyone. I'm Arlene Dickinson. Thanks for joining me on my podcast. It's no secret that small business is a big deal for TELUS. Earlier this year, TELUS helped make things better for small businesses through their pledge to stand with owners. In continuing their support for owners across Canada, they are excited to introduce the Owner's Advantage Plan, an exclusive mobility plan tailored to help business owners stay connected to their family, business, and community. The Owner's Advantage Plan offers a wide variety of benefits designed to provide greater value and more flexibility than ever before, including yearly device upgrades, endless data, same-day device repair, and access to on-demand virtual healthcare, all on the world's fastest mobile network in the world. Visit telus.com slash owners advantage. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Reinvention. Today, Arlene chats with designer and TV personality Jillian Harris. Wildly known for starring in both The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, Jillian's early beginnings can be credited for her rise to fame. Born to a family of entrepreneurs, she realized pretty early on in life that she was going to go the same path. As a young girl, she sold everything from lemonade to her mother's belongings on the family's front lawn, but then quickly graduated to more recognized businesses such as house cleaning. Despite having her own ventures, Jillian worked in an upscale home decor store and soon found herself designing well-known restaurants. Both those jobs exposed her to a life that she had not experienced before and unknowingly sparked her reinvention. Today, we are talking to Jillian Harris. I'm so excited to have this conversation, Jillian. I'm so excited to be here. And this morning, I said, I've got a podcast this morning. And Justin, my husband, and our nanny, and everybody's there. And they're like, well, who, who are you podcasting with? I said, Arlene Dickinson, and our nanny, and Justin. And my jaws dropped. It's like, you serious? That's awesome. So everybody in our household is super excited and honored to be a part of this. So thank you very much. Well, I'm, I'm really excited about the conversation we're going to have, as I said, because you, you really have to me, you know, the show is all about reinvention. And we talk about how people have kind of navigated their lives and changed, you know, I I always say I've got nine lives, I've changed myself so many times. And I feel like you're a kindred spirit, because you've gone through so many changes as well. And you've reinvented yourself from, you know, like starting out and design to going into like becoming a TV personality to, you know, like to a a show, like all of the things that you've done have been so interesting. So um, Jillian is now you're, you're a TV personality, but you known for the bachelor, the bachelorette, love it or listed Vancouver. Um, But, but your, your beginnings were not there. You didn't start off there. So a lot of people still see me as a TV host, but I actually haven't done TV for two years now. So I'm in the, I'm in the process of like reinventing myself again. Awesome. (laughs) I often um, compare myself to Forrest Gump, you know, how he had all those jobs, you know, he was like a ping pong master and then he was in the Navy. And so I'm kind of the same thing. You know, I've done everything from uh, dishwasher, uh, restaurant manager, beer cart girl, hairdresser's assistant, restaurant uh, manager, restaurant designer, project manager, bachelor, bachelorette, the lover listed. And now, most recently, I've just, I don't know, I'm kind of a storyteller and entrepreneur, and I'll probably reinvent myself again, you know, before my time on earth is done. And I kind of get to keep things exciting. <laughs> I love that. Why don't we start, why don't we start off at the very beginning? So, sure. like, let's start off at, you know, you, 
Tell us a little bit about your childhood. Tell us about growing up first. Oh God, whenever people ask me to do that, I always cry, but (laughs) no, in a good way. I just, I'm so grateful for, for my, look at it's happening, um, for my childhood. So growing up, I grew up in Northern Alberta, Peace River, Alberta. So just a short jaunt from you there in Calgary, small town at the time, probably 5,000 people. And I don't think it's changed much since, um, my parents were both entrepreneurs and I spent a lot of time outside in the wilderness, a lot of freedom. Um, I always loved, I was always an entrepreneur at heart. So I remember I ha- still have this like metal banker's box. And every morning on the weekends, I would go out to the end of the driveway and sell whatever I could in lemonade, watermelon. Sometimes I would go into my parents' house and or my house and I would just grab some of my mom's shit and decide I was going to sell it. I remember mom coming out one day and be like, that's my good bedspread. And I'm like, hey, a girl's got to make a buck. <laughs> <laughs> I need money for clothes, mom. What's matter? But you know, even I remember being even like Leo's age, five years old and wanting to go to work with my dad at the auto body shop, whatever it was like sweeping. I always had this fascination with now I'm analyzing what is it? Was it making money? Was it staying busy? Like, what was it that I, that I was really, you know, always sort of obsessed with is sort of the wrong word, but I guess for lack of better word. Um, so yeah, I, I lived there for, um, until I graduated. And as soon as I graduated, I packed up my bags and actually moved to Calgary with not, not a plan, uh, job or anything. Uh, my parents said that they would pay for my move if I went to school. But at that point, I wasn't interested in that. I wanted to like get straight to work. So I started my own business, house cleaning, and I had um, a, a girl that was working with me. And as time went on, I decided, yes, I wanted to go to school, but I wanted to keep my business. So I was probably only... I think 19 at the time. So I just went on in the, in the, um, a newspaper and I just found people who were looking for jobs. And I was, I just started hiring people to do the house cleaning for me while I was at school. And it was like, Oh my goodness, I'm turning this into a business. It was all illegal, by the way, I was not a legal employer. I don't, I don't know how I did, but anyways, at that time it didn't matter. Um, hopefully, hopefully the, the feds don't come after me now. But, um, they might. <laughs> yeah, they might. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I nannied as well at that time. And, um, and then I realized I actually started working. Do you remember a store called Caban? It was, yeah. Old- yeah. So I started working there and that's when I realized, oh my gosh, like all of these fancy designers would come in and buy these $80 candles and this fancy linen. And that was my first sort of like, first sort of moment of seeing like, oh, wow, fancy things, nice things, money, you know, prior to that, I didn't know what money was really going to buy me. I mean, a quad, a snowmobile, I was sort of a small town girl. So um, I loved these designers that would pull up in these fancy black uh, SUVs. And so I went home and on my printer, I made little business cards and it said Jillian Harris interior design. I was not. (laughs) So you just just said, I'm going to call myself an interior designer, but you weren't. Uh, I knew I could, like, my mom was always very creative. My mom owned a home decor store. So I knew I could do it. I knew I could like pick out paint colors and I could rearrange furniture and stuff. So, um, I did that while I worked at Caban. And then I also, um, waitressed at uh, Cactus Club and the owner of Cactus Club, Scotty Morrison, who I feel like you have, must have met. Yeah. 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 She says, I'm like, yeah, Scotty Morrison has an interesting, uh, life and an interesting (laughs) journey. (laughs) And me, 
nothing to be read in my facial expansion. I was more just like, oh yeah, have I read him? Yeah, well, I, I went on to like be his basically personal assistant for several years. So, um, you know, I think every big business entrepreneur, you know, they have a very uh, unique way of life and they're very, uh, what's the word I want to use? Like, yeah, large. Yeah. And, um, so he came in one day and, uh, sort of asked what my deal was. And I told him that I was an interior designer and I was just working there part-time for extra money. And he was actually looking for an interior designer to come on and be his executive assistant. So he offered me a full-time job. Oh, yeah. sure, I just changed my I just changed my seat and I just went, sorry. Okay. This is real live podcasting, yeah. guys. Yeah. It happens. Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, totally, totally. I love it. And so I, I took the job. I didn't know what I was doing. I took the job. I moved to Vancouver and I started to do interior design and project management for Cactus Club. So I kind of got myself caught in a bit of a, a lie. So I was gonna say, wait a second, did he did he think you were like uh, qualified as in trained interior designer when you said that happened? He never really asked too many questions. I think he liked my personality and I told him I could do it and he believed me. And so we we continued to design restaurants together for probably five years. We started Brown Social House, Pinkies. You know, I was there alongside him, project managing, designing. I did not know what I was doing. We spent a lot of money and we made a lot of mistakes and he always just seemed okay with that. He never really questioned my... my <laughs> Did you not have like any like that? Impo- I mean, listen, we, we suffer from imposter syndrome anyhow, but you <laughs> t- saying I'm an interior designer, you're not trained in it. Did you not like think I'm going to get caught out here? Like as you're doing, like I'm fascinated by this because I think that takes so much. Uh, it, it's 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 uh, it's a line between courage and uh, yikes. I know. <laughs> and that's the thing I get. I think I get that from my mom. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel like I was being, uh, I, I truly actually thought that I could do it. Yeah. I, I truly thought that I was confident enough that I could do this job. And um, yeah, I screwed up a lot, but he always seemed to be very understanding of that. I think he later on found out that, you know, I, I didn't go to university or I had doing all these little projects on the side, but like I would, he was my first real job and he sort of took me under his wing and um, he wasn't, he wasn't the best boss, but he let me make mistakes with his money. He taught me a lot. Um, a lot of the way I run my business is due to him. A lot of the way I don't run my business is due to him. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't have imposter syndrome was something I was aware of back then. Okay. It was like, I think my parents always just said like, whatever you dream of, whatever you want to do, you can do it. And I, I believe them. So I love, I love that. I love that. Are your parents still alive? They are. Yeah. They actually just live up the street for me and uh, they're great grandparents. You're a grandmother as well, right? Seven. Yeah. Yeah. Seven? yeah. So they, I'm an only child. So they just have two, but we keep okay. them really busy. Yeah. And- yeah. So they live in BC with you. They moved there because you're there. Uh, the opposite, actually. They So I moved to Calgary. They moved to Kelowna. Then after that, uh, I moved to Vancouver and then went on The Bachelor. So then I was in LA, Chicago. And then when my heart was broken after that whole debacle, um, I bought a little condo here um, and then sort of was sort of not homeless, but I, I just traveled. I was in Vancouver. I was in Kelowna looking for love and just ended up settling here. 
So, so let's, let's just go back there because you, so you're, you, you've done the interior design thing. I, I love that you had the courage to do what you did. You, you learn about business from, you know, your boss and, and understand kind of what you do and don't like about, you know, certain types of management skills and yeah. behavior. And then you went from there to, I guess it was 20, 2009, you became a contestant on The Bachelor. Now, why? why? What made you go, that's what I'm going to do? Like, you're, you're, did they seek you out? Did you just say, hey, I'm going to go apply for this? Like, were you mad about being in love, like madly wanting to be in love? Or I think it was sort of all of the above. I, I love the opportunity that Scott gave me and like telling the story back to myself and you. I'm so lucky I even got that far with him. Like I had a great corporate job with benefits and it was really cool. Everybody was like, wow, look what Jill feel like in I, I couldn't react. Yeah, I was young and I hear my friends were still putting themselves through college and university and I had this like cool, important job. But there was something about it that just felt like I was stifled still. Like, you know, there's the corporate you know, it was wake up and be here, do this, dress like this, act like this. And I just felt like I was still gyrating out of my shell, so to speak. And I've always wanted to be a mom. I've always wanted to find love. And I think, I mean, it just didn't happen for me. I mean, maybe I was too busy. Maybe I was, I don't know for what reason, maybe I just, the right guy didn't come along, but it didn't happen for me for years. Um, even after I was uh, on The Bachelor and Bachelorette, but I was watching the show like anybody else. And they, you know, the thing comes on the end, like, do you want to be on The Bachelorette? Call this number. And um, so I I emailed, I emailed an application and I thought either A, I can find love or B, this will take me places I've never dreamed of or experiences. And I think that's something my parents taught me at a young age is to just go for it, to just, what's the worst that could happen? So I went for it and, and yeah, so I did the bachelor and then bachelorette and got engaged and then broke up and well, yeah. well so don't rush through that because <laughs> there was a whole reinvention that would have taken place through that. I mean, you were, so you, when you, when you got accepted on the bachelor, did you have a moment of, holy shit, I'm, I'm going to put my whole life out in front of everybody to see, you know, about my love life, about how I like, did, how did that feel? Um, I think it was a little bit, I, I remember being a little bit embarrassed. Um, well, I shouldn't say embarrassed because that, that's something that doesn't happen to me that often either. I don't really get embarrassed that often, but just like, why was it, why was it not happening for me? Um, but I've always been sort of a no filter person. Um, I was more worried about my parents. Like what would my parents think and what would their friends think of them? Like I've always worried about them, but they struggled a lot with their relationship and in their life, they had lots of failures and always just picked themselves back up. So I've always just wanted to make them proud. And I think I was just worried, like, maybe this will be a moment where I don't make them proud. Am I going to be that like girl that makes up with all the guys in the hot tub, which I was, by the way. Um, so what, like, what would I, what like I you, have, you see it like you have no control over what you're yeah. in some respects you don't because they produce it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But yeah, I took all the opportunities on that show. Oh yeah, sure. Another one, bring them in. Bring them in. But um, yeah, but yeah, I, I think I was, it's just a such surreal feeling because of being a small town girl, 
all I ever dreamed of was like having a, a career. Uh, maybe it was going to, I was going to be a teacher or maybe I didn't know really what I was going to be. And I thought I was going to get married in my small little town of Peace River. And that would be my life. So the thought of that, I was going to be on national television, not just Canadian television, but like the bachelor. I don't think there's a pro there's nothing that really happens in your brain because it's, you can't conceptualize it. Like, yeah, it was, it was like watching like a train wreck, but you, I just sort of was like, okay, this is still happening. Like I'm, I'm going on the show. Here I am on a plane and now I'm going to the mansion. Like, I just remember being in awe of the whole situation. How old were you at that point? So I was 29 actually. Okay. So so I was, I was one of the older contestants. And, and, and tell me you're, you're there with, uh, I guess, I mean, you put, you would, you would have been asked a lot of the questions about the show and I, and I'm actually not like the show is what the show is, but I'm actually curious about your own kind of personal reinvention through the process. Like you're, you're on the show, you're, you're, um, you're exposed to a world of production, television production that you hadn't been and and you're exposing yourself um, in, 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 in terms of your emotions and in terms of your feelings, you meet somebody that you think is loved. Did, did you feel did you feel like you were kind of shedding a skin, like you were somehow kind of doing something really big and this was going to be your life? Or were you scared as hell at that point? Like at the point where you're there, you're, you're at the show, you're, you're finding that you're attracted to this guy. You're, are you feeling scared? I thought for sure that he was going to pick me. So he had a, a son, he was a single dad. So I truly thought throughout that entire process that he was going to pick me. I was going to be a, a stepmom and that was going to be my life. That's still what I wanted at that point. Like business, what, business and entrepreneurship. I knew I was, that was always sort of my calling, but I so badly wanted to be a mom. And I'm like, here it is. I think when you talk about reinvention and I was really been thinking about this a lot, not just coming on your show, but I just released these courses, the Jilly Academy. And I think for me is like, it's almost like I've never just really been afraid of that humility. And I've always, I, I think, just want, wanted things and went for them. And then when it didn't happen and, you know, some people would compare that as failure and I would fall on my ass and whatnot. I think I learned that from my parents. I just was like, okay, well, that didn't work. So I'm just going to learn from that situation and I'm going to get up and I'm going to try it again, or I'm going to try something different. And yeah, for sure. There were times where I was depressed or self-doubted myself or was insecure or felt like I was never going to make it. But then when you're at that point, what is, what are the options? You can't just say, give up and say, no, they only got, your life is only so big and you got to, you just got to, there's no, there's no, there's times I wanted to give up, but you just can't. So you have to say, okay, well, fuck it. It's part of my language. Let's. You're allowed, you're allowed to, you're allowed to swear on my show. Okay, great. Um, fuck it. I'm just going to try something different because I can't keep wallowing in this pity or in this self-doubt. These are the things that I truly want in my heart. I've got to keep on going for it. And I guess that wasn't the way it was supposed to happen for me. So let's try a different route. So, I mean, there's an interesting lesson here about reinvention that I think our listeners would love to understand more because you you make it sound simple, you know, okay, that didn't work, but it was a public failure. It was a public, you're, and I know, I know how that feels. I mean, you know, when the floods hit in Calgary and my business was in, you know, my, my one business was in trouble and, 
I found it much more difficult to navigate because it was a public failure and you have, there's people have an expectation of you that is this and then, but this is what's happening and it's very difficult. So how did you, you didn't just brush yourself off say, Oh, well, that's just a, that's fine. You must've had moments where you went, I'm not going to do this anymore. Like I don't, and then, and, and, and didn't want to do it anymore. For sure. And I still have those moments. I mean, being a public figure and being on Instagram and my personal life is exposed and my kids are exposed and my decisions and um, especially with the climate that has been happening in the last couple of years of acknowledging on my own privilege and how that some of the things I've done in the past could have been problematic and fit wrapping my head around that. There's been times where I just wish I could shut it all down and just hide under a cover and be in my own little bubble and just not have to deal with any of it for sure. Um, and at the time of the bachelor and bachelorette, when that sort of, so the bachelor after the bachelor, I was of course depressed and felt rejected. Um, and I went through a phase of, you know, drinking a lot, eating a lot. I remember an ex came to my door, um, shortly after that situation. And he was like, Oh my, Oh, sorry. Sorry. I've just, I've never seen you look like that before. And I'm like, what? what? And I look back and I gained like 18 pounds within like two months. Cause I was just drinking and eating and sleeping. That's all I was doing. And so here I was this, like, I was always this petite girl and I just sort of ballooned, which is okay, but I didn't really realize it. Um, so that happened. And then after I went on the bachelorette, um, and then was heartbroken again, the same thing sort of happened, but kind of the opposite. I, again, was, I think, abusing alcohol um, and not really taking care of myself, but not eating. And so I was, you know, 95 pounds. I could not stop crying. I remember my parents saying, like, this was not a good decision for you to go on the show. Your heart just can't handle this kind of rejection. I didn't know where I was going to go with my life because all I had known was being an interior designer, but I kind of always knew that was not real. Like I was like, I don't know if that's even what I want to do with my life, but is that all I have to go back to? And I don't know if I want to go back into a public life of TV and media. Look what it's doing to me now. It's destroying me. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think a lot of people were very worried about me at that time. I remember uh, bumping into a friend at the mall parking lot and she looked at me and said, are you okay? And I looked at her and I said, no, look at me. I'm not, I'm not okay. I don't know what, what do you want me to do about it? Like you're, you're an acquaintance. You're not, how are you going to help me? Like you can't help yeah. me with, yeah. my, with my problems. Um, so, you know, so my parents, my mom really struggled with really severe, severe bipolar my entire life in and out of hospitals, ICU, um, like really some really horrible situations. Um, and because I'm an only child, I was right there with my parents throughout that process my parents also were separated and back together again. I think that there was probably some bouts of affairs in their life. They had businesses that they started and then failed, some that were successful. And so I think I got really comfortable with failure and also just um, like not really feeling sorry for myself, but just letting myself go through that failure, letting myself go through those emotions. And my mom always says like this too shall pass, which is such a cliche Thing, but I always just knew it would pass. I knew that wasn't going to be my reality forever, but it was a real, it was a reality at that point. There were many failures, you know, even after that situation, after the bachelorette with business failures and relationship failures that I just thought, oh my gosh, like what is good? 
but I always thought like, what's the worst? Like, maybe I'll be a single mom. Maybe I'll just be single. Maybe I won't like, but at the end of the day, you just kind of have to go, what, how can I make the best of what this life is, is giving me right now? Did you seek any help through that period, Jillian? Like, you know, when you were going through that, because I listened to you and I think about, you know, I've had, I've suffered, you know, I've talked a lot on this show. It's very interesting to me that the successful people that I've spoken to who have all acknowledged the role that their mental health has played in their journey and, and how they've navigated that. And I think about what you're telling me that you went through and, and, and so publicly went through, did you seek help to navigate it more effectively knowing that your mom was bipolar, knowing that you had a, you know, family history there? Yeah, I am a huge, huge believer in um, counseling therapy. Um, still to this day, Justin and I do couples therapy twice a month. Um, I have a life coach. Um, I have even with my team, so they all have a health spending account and it's big and it's extended to their family because of what my mom went through. I think as a child, we went to a lot of family counseling. And whenever I felt that it was too much for me to handle, there were, there was never the same sort of therapist or counselor, but I do always remember seeking help. One great thing is I've always had an amazing, amazing family and community of people around me that I've always felt could sort of get me through those times. But sometimes you need somebody that's not biased as well, right? Um, so yeah, for sure. I've always, and there was a time, um, I guess that would be after Ed and I broke up. So after the bachelorette where um, I was on uh, anxiety medication and depression medication. Um, and, you know, I know there are some times where that are many times we talk a lot about uh, normalizing uh, meds and therapy and help it. I knew it wasn't the answer for me. Um, it was so bad that I feel like I needed it at, 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 a certain point, but I knew that it wasn't a chemical imbalance for me. I knew that it was a situational time in my life that I could get through, but there were times where I, I felt like I needed to, I needed medicine to cope as well. But it, I mean, I looked back, I've been looking back on pictures of the last 20 years um, because I put together this course, the Jilly Academy, and I've been so proud of all the different jobs I've had and all the different reinventions, like you said. And so I've been looking for pictures and videos of, of this, these moments. And I was like hung over after just looking at all these pictures. And I'm like, did anybody not document the, the times where I succeeded, like it was literally just me partying for 20 years. I'm like, how do I, how can I even still function? But I think a lot of, I think, you know, growing up in Northern Alberta family, my parents drank a lot. They went through a lot of issues. That was sort of always the way I coped. Um, I think it's different now. I mean, I love wine, just like the next person. And I live in the Okanagan, but you really have to analyze why you're doing the things you're doing. And when you're doing the things that you're doing. But yeah, to answer your question, yes, I have always had a therapist, counselor, and I probably always will. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that self-awareness of, you know, kind of what, what, how you're feeling and being able to recognize when you need help is mm. so important because when you reinvent, you really have to think you, exactly what you just said. You have to think about your past. You have to understand kind of what brought you here, the, the good, the bad, and the lessons you learned. You have to think about, you know, kind of um, what matters to you and, and, and who you are as a person. And, and I think, uh, in your case, you you had this very interesting because I was talking about currency. You you had this very interesting currency, and I think your currency um, is is your your superpower to me, Jillian, and your reinvention is that you have this 
you have a very optimistic outlook on life, even though you were in times that were difficult, you seem to be somebody who always looks for, but I can get, I can get to something else here. It's not just going to be about this. This isn't my story. My story is not written because of this one thing. Right. Is that, do you think that's true? Totally. Yeah. And I think that 1000% comes from my, my family, from my mom and dad. I don't know how they got it. I guess my grandma was sort of like that, but I think they just, my parents failed a lot in them, in their life. They're together now and they're happy and they're just like the cutest couple. Um, but they failed a lot. And I just never remember. I remember people feeling sorry for us and feeling sorry for me, but that wasn't a feelings that we had. And, um, I just think there's no other way to look at things because you, what's going to propel me forward is only that positive thinking. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do have days where I am negative or I'm like, I don't want to talk about this or just let this. I'm, I definitely, you can, I can hear Justin's voice out there. And I'm like, Oh God, if only he could hear this conversation, he would rip this computer away from me so fast. He, but you know, he's the person I love the most. So he gets the brunt of it. He gets, you know, the days where I'm negative and the days where I don't want to, you know, find a positive solution or the days I'm bitchy and cranky. He, he's the one who gets that the most. But I think overall in life, I don't sweat the small stuff. And I think it's all small stuff. Whose quote was that? Totally butchered. I'm not sure whose quote it was. It's a great <laughs> quote. But you, but, but also what you do very, very well is you don't, you're not, you're not victimized. You know, many people would say, Hey, I grew up in a dysfunctional family. My mom was bipolar. My parents drank too much. We, we, you know, like we had business failures and they would view that as the definition of their story. And I think this is uh, something else that people can take from your story, which is, you know, our past kind of shapes and inform us, informs us, but it doesn't define us. I mean, simply because we, you know, we learn from or we we have things that stick with us from our past, it doesn't necessarily in any way mean that that's who we are into the future. Totally. Um, yeah. 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 No, I completely agree with you. And I think back to all those times, I don't know why my brain worked like that, but when people would feel bad for me, I would think to myself, well, no, I'm going to be a bad, I, I would never want to put my kids through what unfortunately my parents put me through and I know they still have guilt over that. They were great parents though, but they still talk about, you know, the things that I had to go through and how that must've been so hard. And I'd never want my own children to go through that. But I truly believe that I'm a more, a more emotionally compassionate, compassionate person. I think my emotional intelligence, I think I, I'm more uh, resilient. I think I'm more, uh, yes, like I said, compassionate, patient. Um, I think I can, uh, you know, get through adversity a little bit differently because of that, th that childhood, because of that life. And so for me, somehow it benefited me. Um, and maybe that was just my like, um, survival tactics. Like, you know, I think at sometimes what my parents were going through was so difficult. My parents talk about things that happened in my childhood. And I'm like, I don't remember that. Mm -hmm. I do not remember. I, my mom's like, I think you only remember the good times. Did you block, you must have just blocked that out, but though all the horrible things that happened, I don't recall them, them happening. So, yeah, well, partly I think um, people that are very successful are really good at compartmentalizing, you know, and, and putting yeah. things in ways so that they aren't uh, overwhelming their minds. And I, and I, but I, like, I'm, I'm thinking now, you know, just kind of following the path of your life, you reinvent yourself, you do the television, the two TV shows. Then you then you go to uh, then you go to uh, extreme makeover, 2010, mm -hmm. 2010. Then you go to twenty eleven. You hosted 
uh, season one of Canada's Handyman Challenge. Right, so I couldn't remember if that came before or after, right, yeah. And then you went in 2013 to Love It or List It. That's right, yeah. So a little bit about that. Tell me, tell me, you make a decision to be on television, that you, you start in a reality TV show that is about your personal life, and mm-hmm. you go back to your roots of design. Yeah, I think um, at that point... I mean, I'm not doing Love and Realistic anymore, and I'm very, very grateful for that opportunity. Um, it paid well. It was great for my brand. Um, I was treated amazingly um, during that that process. I don't. Re- I remember thinking, I'm not sure if this is the right show for me because speaking of imposter syndrome, everybody just thinks that Jillian Harris is a designer, and while I like shopping, and I, I think I probably am good at it, if you actually think about my life in design. I had zero design experience other than what my mom taught me at her store. So just, you know, my mom had a a decor store, so I would help her merchandise and whatnot. Then I started working at Cactus Club as like a fake interior designer, right? Remember I got the job, but had no idea. Not a fake, just not a, not a, not a school. Not, yeah, not a, yeah, exactly. Not an accredited interior designer. Yeah, exactly. I actually then, before I went on The Bachelor, did go to BCIT and got my certificate in, in interior design. Um, and then after that, did uh, Extreme Makeover Home Edition, uh, Canada's Handyman, and, and Love It or List It. But in all three of those situations, you know TV very well. I wasn't actually picking out the tile and doing the floor plans. And, you know, there's there's a whole team on any design show. I mean, maybe there's some where the host actually does the design. I was told I could do the design, but I wasn't going to get paid any more money for it. I was there to tell the story, to host the show. And, you know, you do six, you know, 12 hour filming days. And at that time I didn't have a baby, but I had a, um, I had Justin and I really (laughs) was like a baby, only different. (laughs) No, still is. Yeah, still is. Um, and I would think I so badly want to be able to put my creative t- touch on this show. So after filming 12 hours, I would get in my car and go to HomeSense and start shopping. But then there's a team. I'm trying to shop for stuff that this team is already working on. So I'm kind of like uh, mowing their lawn, so to speak. And they're like, oh, this girl, she's just confusing the whole process. So at one point with the, with the Lover List It, um, I had to step back as a designer and I had to say, it has to be my style. It has to be my aesthetic because I don't know what I'm going to do with my life after the show. And so if it's not my aesthetic, then what's going to happen at the end of the day when people think I designed this way, but that's not how I design. Mm-hmm. So it had to be my aesthetic, but I didn't do a lot of the design. My job was to host the show. So now I've got, you know, all of these reruns, seven years of millions of people messaging me, you should come design my house. I'm like, I don't, I don't do that anymore. I haven't really done that ever. I went from yeah restaurants to kind of doing it on on TV. So um, anyways, going back to when I got the job, I just remember thinking, this is consistent. I know TV. I know I can host. It's in my field. And it's, and I don't have to move down south. Like I didn't want, I wasn't ready to move to Toronto or to LA or New York. I wanted to be near my family. And I'm like, this is the best of all the worlds. And I continued to do that for seven years. I mean, I didn't take a maternity. I took six weeks after each kid. I drove back and forth. Um, it was a great job that even uh, the last season, they allowed Justin to play a contractor. So he, our whole family was involved, which is my cousin Charles was involved in the show. So it was like a whole family affair. But Arlene, what happened to me is I felt like I wasn't using my voice. Like I, I felt like I was acting 
you know, even though it was Jillian Harris, it wasn't, I didn't have control. Um, and I was starting to build this platform and I didn't have enough time to use that platform the way I had desired, the way I felt like would have impact. And so, um, also I was tired, you know, having two kids and no maternity leave. They asked me to sign another season and I think Todd felt like he was done. And I thought, well, how's this going to work with two kids going back and forth to, to Vancouver, having two homes, they're growing up so fast and missing all these moments. And so I asked if I could just take a year off and just think about it and spend some time with my family, but they needed a decision right away. And so they kind of said like, it's now or never. And I just thought, okay, I, I can reinvent myself again. I can, I can move on from this. I can do something different. And the priority for me was having control over my schedule and control over my platform. And so I just had to believe that something good could come from that decision. That was two years ago. That was two years ago. So that that's, but that's a very, um, you know, it, leaving television. I, I left Dragon's Den for a couple of years. So I, I know kind of what was going through your head around, you know, leaving that because there's a security that comes with the, the, the shows that you're on and how you're known. And it's very difficult to say, I'm going to just go and do something different when that's being kind of the definer of your brand, as you said. So and, your family, and your family and friends are like, what, what, what are you, you going to do? Yeah. You're crazy. Like it was, so it's consistent. It's great money. It's like, well, what my dad was like, oh my gosh, this is your dream job. Like, why would you leave it? And I'm like, I don't know. I just, something's telling me it's now's the time. And was, and was Justin um, supportive of that? He was supportive. I think he was nervous as well. Um, but, um, he comes from a family of entrepreneurs as well. He's an entrepreneur himself. And I think he just saw how like emotionally drained I was getting from a, not being able to follow my creative passion and B leaving the house when the kids are asleep and coming back, you know, I was on set with Annie and like, sorry for the too much information, but I was still bleeding. I was hemorrhaging. Yeah. I was basically having to wear depends on um, set because I was bleeding so bad with no time off. And I'm like, this is not, this is not right. My babies need me. My family needs me. Yeah. So it was kind of like, I, I was like, I'm going to do this. And I also think like where I came from, like, like a humble beginning in Peace River, Alberta, that is still my happy place sitting around a campfire in somebody's backyard, going to Boston pizza is the fanciest place you could go for dinner. And that still is my happy place. So while money is fun and I'm sure important, and especially in this world of talking about our privilege and acknowledging it, there's people do need money, but my simplest pleasures, my happiest place doesn't really require money. So I just kind of thought, and what, what's the worst that can happen with leaving TV? But, you know, your authenticity about all of that, Jillian, is really refreshing because you, you've said something that I know that the women that are listening to this podcast are going to um, really hang on to, which is, you know, what? just after you have a child, not only are you physically, you know, potentially you're bleeding, you're dealing with the physicality of having childbirth, having, having given birth to a child, having all the ways, you know, that's impacting you physically, but then you also have the mental impact of postpartum and what's going on with your mind and what's going on with your chemistry in, in your body, which impacts your mind. So I think, I think acknowledging that, and, and I would say to, there's two things I always said to people, you know, some of the stupidest things I've ever done in my life. And I mean, the stupidest was when I was um, like just about to have my period. Like it was always when I would, I would do the stupidest things and that I never understand why I would do them. 
And then a few days later, I sure enough, I'd get my period. I go, Oh my God, that's, that's what it was. It's like, of course, why didn't I know that was happening? It happens oh, every yeah. month, but it, it was such an, it had such emotional impact on me. And I made, I made really poor choices yeah. um, in those moments. Now that was me. Not everybody's yeah. the same, but for me, oh, yeah. um, I would say that sometimes when we are um, our chemistry and our bodies as females can drive us to make stupid choices, but it could also help us make more clear choices, which right. is what happened to you. You actually had the clarity to say, this is what's happening to me. This is what's going on with my body. This is what I want. I'm going to make a change. And I, I reinvention is really that it's having the clarity to say, I'm not happy doing what I'm ha- doing. Yeah. And I have, courage to take that next step to do something else. And I really admired that. And I admire that you understood why you felt that way. Yeah. And I think seeing what my, so my mom, when she went through her uh, bipolar depression, sometimes schizophrenia, it was really horrible. I remember she worked so hard in her thirties, um, running her business and helping my dad run his business and being a mom and drinking and, you know, living in Northern Alberta. And she burnt herself out. And I saw those signs and I can see signs within myself when I'm pushing myself too hard. And I'm like, I'm not going to go there. I can, I have to watch these signs because that for me, is the worst case scenario. What my mom had to go through and our family had to go through was horrible. And I think a lot of what my mom went through was a bit situational. She had some trauma in her childhood and whatnot that she was held on to. But I think it somehow turned into a chemical where she was not able to control that. Um, and I, I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist. I don't know how that works, but I could see how my mom was this very smart, intelligent, like she had a very clear uh, path. Uh, she's made all the decisions. She ran the family. And then one day it just sort of fell apart and it fell apart for her for like 30 years. So as much as I love to work, I'm probably a lot like yourself. I love what I do. I love staying busy. Um, I want to make sure that I'm protecting myself so that I can protect my family and I can protect my future. And my mom's doing so awesome now and she's so happy. But what she says, you know, she lost a lot of her life, a lot of many years where she wasn't herself. And I would just be, I would be devastated if that happened to me and it can be hereditary too. So I'm always just trying to be cognizant of what I'm putting myself through and how I'm feeling and, and why am I doing it and, and who for well, that's the essence of reinvention is figuring out what makes you happy, you know, yeah. like living your life with the purpose that is your purpose, not somebody else's, not what somebody else needs from you or expects from you, but what you need for yourself. And I think when you get to that point in your in your life where you can actually acknowledge what it is you need, not yeah. what you think other people want for you. Totally. That's when you start to be able to take the steps that you have taken. And, and, and now you've got the, the, the Jilly, um, you've got the, uh, the Jilly Academy, you've got the Jilly box, you've got Jilly and Harris design. Like you are, you're super busy and it feels like you've taken all of these steps, all of these reinventions and, and figured out the next stage of your career, which is, as you said, to be an entrepreneur. Like, how's that going? How are you feeling about that choice? So I think the entrepreneur thing sort of already happened, uh, like over the last couple of years with the Jilly Box and with the brand. So I kind of shifted about four or five years ago. I shifted my brand to be more of, you know, influencer, creator, storyteller. Um, so partnering with brands, you know, I've worked with a brands like Smash and Test and we've sold millions and millions of dollars worth of just rompers, just 
just robbers. Like it's a crazy thing. Uh, you know, all women own and operated small businesses, which I'm really passionate about. Um, and the Jilly Box was sort of an effort to, we'd get so many of these uh, collaboration and partnership requests that we couldn't, we couldn't sustain it. Like, I'm like, I'm going to be a walking billboard. So that's why the Jilly Box was born is how can we support all these small businesses and all these products and brands without me having to like personally endorse it on my Instagram or website. So the Jilly Box really is a, a reflection of that. And I don't know if you've heard the story of what happened there. So every time I've done a launch, Arlene, uh, with the, the rompers and the necklaces, we always would sell between like three and 5,000 units, um, which I was always super proud of. The brands were super proud of. Um, they were always sell out on the first day. Very exciting. So when we decided to do the Jilly Box, um, we took a huge gamble and we purchased 5,000 boxes. So that's from 10 different companies, 5,000 units of each. Um, we were learning the subscription box module, uh, model for the very first time, not even thinking about things like insurance. Uh, what about product quality? What happens if all these 5,000 candles get delivered to the warehouse and they're all, um, they're all, uh, damaged and the box is about to get shipped? What the hell do we do? They came from China. Like, like, you know, a lot of things happened during that process. But anyways, we launched on launch day. The website crashed and we had over a hundred thousand people on our wait list. Wow. So they were pissed. They were pissed that they couldn't wow. get a box. So we sold the 5,000 subscriptions, no problem. And now we've got 15,000 boxes that we send out quarterly, but we still have a wait list of 100,000 people. And we actually do a lottery system. So the, the 5,000 people who are first in on the first day, they're grandfathered into, um, they get a box every time, but the rest of the 80, 95,000 are on a lottery wait list. So they're on a wait list. And then on launch day, if they're lucky enough, the 10,000 others will hopefully get an email and it says, do you want a box? And you have to purchase right away. If you don't purchase right away, it'll be gone within, you know, seconds. Um, but it's so cool to see that community and that excitement. And then all these small businesses whose products are in the box, they're so excited because not only is their product going to be in 15,000 homes, but then when we release the information of what was in the box, then all these hundreds of thousand people, they, they go and buy their products, they visit their pages. And it's a, such a cool phenomenon. Um, but anyways, that was really amazing. And I've loved it because I've loved growing this brand more so, um, for what I can do to my team, for my team. Um, so we had two employees for years and now I think we're going to be with the Jilly Box 18 um, and we're still growing. And I think that's the thing I love the most about entrepreneurship is what can I do for the team? How can I help them build their legacy? Um, so that's been really, really interesting. Um, and I think sharing that journey of everything we've talked about today is why I wanted to launch the Jilly Academy, which is just, you know, it's not a business course or a marketing course. I've never really taken a masterclass or any course like that, but it's just a reflection of my own personal journey and the things I've learned and what they could possibly do with that. Which, you know, when you, when you talk about the box and what happened there that you, that it blew up and you had a hundred thousand people that you couldn't service, most people would have seen that as a failure. Instead, you said, Hey, let's make it about the scarcity of the boxes and let's get people a wait list and let's get them excited totally. about whether they could get one. And it's, it's that ability to turn things around into what's possible as opposed to what's a problem right. that I really think defines you, Jillian. I mean, I, I have so enjoyed talking to you. I, I think you're, you're you've got so many 
layers of, of depth, but you are, you are everything that I admire. You're, you're authentic, you're genuine, you're self-aware, you are, you're um, empathetic, you're, you're absolutely driven as an entrepreneur and as a human. And I really, uh, I, I've loved speaking with you and I thank you so much for spending the time. Is there anything you want to say to our audience before we sign off? Anything you'd like to say as a I- last yeah, I think I've also enjoyed this as well. It's kind of been like therapy and I'm so, so grateful for all your grace and your love. We've just met. I, and I know many of the things I went through, you did as well. I mean, you had four children and I'm sure you worked throughout all those uh, times and now being a grandmother and juggling it all. So it's just so great to speak with you. And uh, anybody that's listening right now, you know, it's as if it's all about balance, a balance of you can do anything you want, you can achieve anything, but be gentle on yourself. Be gentle on yourself. Forgive yourself. Let you, we're humans. We're going to screw up. We're going to fuck up. We're going to make mistakes. Let yourself have that moment and then move on. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, and always ask yourself at, but at what cost, right? At what cost are we doing things and what for? I think recently I've been learning so much about capitalism and about why we're working and, um, I've really been asking myself, well, why am I working so hard? What is it for? And so redefining that now, I want to change my legacy into something different where I'm able to, you know, I've been getting into a lot of activism and learning and using my voice differently. And so really trying to take my energy and all the things I want to do in this world and shift it. And maybe it's not going to be selling rompers anymore. Maybe it's going to be selling thoughts and ideas and compassion. I don't know. So I, I love that. And I, I, I think that's, that, that is kind of, there is no point in having a platform if you can't use it for good. Totally. Um, you know, and, and, and I always thought, you know, I, I think Angelina Jolie said something once about, you know, I don't want the attention directed at me. I want to, to bounce the attention off me to something that actually matters. Totally. And, I, and that has stuck with me about this ability to, you know, people might want to pay attention to you, but if they do, what you then direct them to in terms of what matters is actually very important. And it's a responsibility, I think. Um, and, it, and, and I can't wait to see what you're going to do next. <laughs> it's like, it's exciting. So great speaking with you and uh, just sending you all my best and just so, so grateful for this opportunity. Thanks a lot, Jillian. Right back at you. Be well. Thanks, Arlene. Likewise. <laughs> Many have a take on the popular saying, fake it until you make it. But Jillian is living proof that the confidence you place in yourself can propel you in life. Despite not having recognized credentials in design, she knew she possessed the skill set needed to make herself an asset for the businesses she worked for. Her ability to shamelessly put herself out there also resulted in national TV shows, authoring a cookbook, and launching her own incredibly successful lifestyle brand. At the core of Jillian's success is her ability to recognize her core purpose and chase it relentlessly. It's likely that at one point, we've all been told to follow our passion, but due to one constraint or another, we rarely do. Use the inspiration from Jillian's reinvention to start yours now. Stay safe and stay human. Thanks for listening, everybody. This podcast is made possible by the great folks at Venture Communications. Thanks to our engineers, writers, producers, and all the folks who work really hard to bring you these great stories of reinventions each and every week.